wonderful to see you here tonight. We're studying the life of Elijah, the prophet Elijah, and just gleaning things from his life that, that God would use in our lives. There's a lot of wonderful things about his life. But I want you, if you would, to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. This is where we're studying 17, 18, and 19 is really where we get all of our information about Elijah as far as the real accounts of his life. We studied last week, uh, remember the nation being in apostasy to say the least and sanctioning the worship of Baal and killing the prophets of Jehovah and cleansing the land of the altars of Jehovah and setting up uh, Baal worship as the, as the law and the religion of the land. And these are God's people. Well, God wanted to turn their hearts back to himself. He had his man, Elijah, in the wings. It was time for him to go. The Lord had said earlier in this chapter, after three and a half years of basically being in hiding, the Lord took care of the man during the, the, the drought and the famine. He said, go show yourself to Elijah, and I will send rain upon the earth. Well, there were some things that would take place between between showing himself to Elijah and the rain coming, but it wasn't going to take long, okay? So he goes and he says, uh, Ahab gathered the people of Israel together, and they met, they met at Mount Carmel, and the challenge was made. <clears throat> Excuse me, we talked about it last week, and the people answered not a word. He said, why do you halt between two opinions? If God's God, serve him. If Baal is God, then follow him. And the people didn't answer a word, and he makes a challenge, right? His challenge was, you prophets of Baal, 850, you prepare a bullock as a sacrifice for your God, Baal, and I will prepare a bullock for the, uh, Jehovah, and we'll call upon our gods, and the God that answers by fire, let him be God. And when he said that, the people said, it's well spoken. That's a good plan. Makes sense. And God, God had it all under control. Elijah wasn't worried if God was going to send the fire. He knew God was going to send the fire. But we talked about it last week. The prophets of Baal, 850, with their priestly garments on. And they, the Bible said they were crying, Oh, Baal, hear us. Oh, Baal, hear us. From 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Six hours. They're and they got more uh, worked up, I guess you would say, as the day went on. And they jumped up and down on the altar. And they cut themselves, it says, with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out and still no answer. And, and Elijah began to mock them, not, not just out of some arrogance or pride, but he wanted to show the foolishness of their position. That's what it was. That's why they were sarcasm. He wanted to show the utter foolishness of Israel following after this God, Baal. He's not a God. He can't answer. It's impossible for him to answer. And so after six hours, they gave up. Uh, our man Elijah comes, and he restores the altar, the 12 stones, one for each tribe of Israel. It was Jehovah's altar, and it was at the time of the evening sacrifice. And he makes his prayer, Lord, let these people know. He drew the people near. Come, invite him, come close. Come close and press in around. I want you to be part of this. I want you to see what's going on. And I want you to see what, what our God is about to do. And so he prayed, he prayed, uh, Lord, let this people know that you are God and you're turning their hearts to him. Let them know I'm your servant and everything that's been done today and everything that's being done is because you, it's your will. It's something you've led me to do. Haven't been presumptuous in this. And as he prayed and spoke in that little short prayer, 
the fire came down, consumed the sacrifice on the altar, uh, licked up all the water that was in the trench around the altar, and all the people hit their faces. The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. I don't blame them. Amen. They're hitting their faces before the Lord, and, and they're crying out. So now here, right on the heels of that, this is what we're going to talk about tonight. Right on the heels of that, look with me, if you would, in 1 Kings 18, 39. 1 Kings 18, 39. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal. Let none of them escape. They took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Well, you say, that, that sounds pretty drastic, doesn't, doesn't it? That's pretty extreme. Well, it was extreme. It was extreme. And I can tell you what, following God... We have to make a clean separation from the rest of the world. It's very extreme to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to walk in obedience to him. What these prophets have done, of Baal had done to the nation was extreme. They had killed all the prophets of Jehovah. They had destroyed all his altars <clears throat> and scattered them. They raised up altars in their place to Baal. They built a, built a temple to Baal. And uh, the reason for the famine and the reason for the judgment of God was the, the worship of Baal and these priests of Baal and these false prophets and false priests were, uh, were the Lord says, um, you know, they need to be destroyed. Their, their time had come. And again, we might think that's extreme, but I want us to talk about this for a little bit. We, we might look at some things in the Bible, and here's one of them. And you look at places like the Amalekites when, the, when Israel totally destroyed the Amalekites. And the Lord told, uh, told Saul, don't let anybody escape. Not men, women, children, animals, you know, destroy it all. He remembered what the Amalekites had done. And I forgot how many years passed, but it was a long time. And he gave them place to repent, and they didn't repent. And God had them all destroyed. We look at Achan's sin in the, in the matter of Jericho when they went and fought Jericho. And, and the Lord had given command through Joshua, don't take anything. Don't covet any of their stuff. God has destined them, these Philistines, these Canaanites, he's destined them for destruction. Uh, and, and we know Achan stole some of the silver and the garments and hid it in his tent. So what was the result? We had soldiers on... Uh, in the next battle of Ai, we had soldiers from Israel, Israel that died. They didn't need to die because of Ai's sin. I mean, Achan's sin. So Achan was destroyed and his family and his children. Now, when you read things like that, you think, well, that's a different God than the God of grace and mercy in the New Testament. But he's not. He's the same God. Nowhere do we read that the people that were judged and the people that were destroyed in those matters, and there were others, God, there was fire that came down from heaven in the matter of uh, uh, the uprising against, against Moses and against uh, Aaron, right? And, and the people rose up and rebelled and fire came down and consumed. I forgot how many. We see things like this and we think that's extreme, that God's being harsh. It does not say anywhere in those passages that the people that died in those judgments went to hell eternally. They still could have repented on their last breath. But the point is that the sin has to be purged from the land. If there's one thing that we learn from this is that God takes it seriously and we don't. Typically, God takes it seriously and we don't. Don't forget New Testament church that Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead at the feet of Peter. 
Were they saved or not? I don't really know. But I can tell you what, they were part of the church. They were part of what was going on. The people knew him. Peter knew who they were. And they knew Peter. And the people assumed that they were part of what was going on. I don't know if they were saved or not. But I can tell you what, the sin was going to be purged from the church because God's holy name was in that church. And so that doesn't happen every time. We know that people don't drop dead every time they sin and every time they sin in the church. But I think we make too little of sin and the Lord doesn't make little of it. Jesus died on the cross for that, right? God sent his only son for that. And so <clears throat> when we look at this, I want to take my time to look at it for, for just a moment. First, turn with me to Psalm 115. Keep your spot there in 1 Kings 18. Psalm 102. No, I'm sorry, 115, 4 through 8. Let's read this. Psalm 115, 4 through 8. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. Now we're we're thinking, talking about Elijah and the Baal worship and those priests unto this false god. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throats. This is the Baal that didn't worship them, okay? He didn't answer them. The Baal that didn't answer by fire. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusts in them. Okay, it's vanity. That's what the word idol actually means. It means vain or vanity. What is vanity? It's something that's wasted. It's pointless, right? Profitless, uh, unprofitable. And so I want to look at another passage. I want you to turn with me to Numbers 25, and we'll read verses 1 through 9. Numbers 25. Verse 1. Now, and Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. This is why God takes it seriously, and we ought to, too. If we would take it seriously and separate ourselves morally and spiritually unto the Lord and from the filth and the abominations and the idolatry that's around us, then there wouldn't have to be those drastic measures like killing 850 priests of Baal. If we would separate ourselves. The people began, this is God's people, to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. They called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself to Baal Peor. It's the same God, Baal. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. This is many years before. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. He's telling them, you, you go, you know, someone in your family, whatever, in your tribe, you've seen them join themselves to this false God. I want you to go kill them. It's pretty, it gets pretty, uh, I don't know what the word is, uh, serious when you're doing it yourself. You're going to take that seriously. I don't think it's any fun to go kill people and kill people you know. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman, 
in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So here's the godly people like Moses and many others. They're at the door of the tabernacle weeping because of the idolatry and the sin of their own brothers, okay? And they're, they're judging it. And in the midst of them weeping and repenting and it being judged, I guess somebody comes in a little late and didn't know what was happening on the scene. And he brings in uh, a Midianitish woman, <clears throat> one of these worshipers of Baal, <clears throat> into the camp, into the congregation. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. And so those that died in the plague, so God had sent a plague, were 20 and 4,000. It's not a little thing. It's not a little thing. It's not a little thing to allow sin to go on in our hearts or in our church or in our nation. Or <clears throat> We have to judge it. We have to deal with it. And we, if, if we would be on guard and keep it out, then these types of things wouldn't happen so often. Amen? But I want to read one more verse about, about this. So Phineas, okay, Phineas, the son of the, the priest, came in, and that last one, he dealt with a man and the woman and killed him. All right, turn back to Psalms. Psalm 106. So there's, an, there's a recount of Israel's wandering, you know, coming out of Egypt and wandering through the wilderness and, wilderness and how God took care of them. And I want you to read 106, verse 28. They joined themselves. This is that recount of what we read in Numbers. They joined themselves unto Baal Peor and ate the sacrifices of the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their inventions and the plague break in upon them. Then stood up Phineas and executed judgment, and so the plague was stayed. And that was counted unto him for righteousness unto all generations forevermore. This was actually something as dramatic and drastic as it was to go in this tent and kill these two people. He's the reason that the plague was stayed. 24,000 people of Israel had died up to that point. When he did what he did, God stopped the plague, and it says he executed the judgment of the Lord, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Judging sin is not something that's fun, but ju judging sin is something that's absolutely necessary, and where we start is right here. Yeah, I start by judging my own sin. I'm not the judge of all the earth. God's the judge of all the earth, but I am the judge of my own heart and life, and we are to judge ourselves, and we do judge one another, not with a judgmental attitude, but we can certainly judge sin according to the Word of God. If sin, sin is sin, false doctrine is false doctrine, fornication is fornication, these uh, lying and cheating and stealing, sins are sins. And so we are to deal with it and not turn a blind eye like we didn't see it, and we want to say that that's grace. We'll just leave them alone. It's in the house of God especially. We don't go outside and say, that person's drunk and this person's cursing. They know they're. That's just the world, okay? It's the world we live in. But we live in this, in this church. We have to deal with sin. And if we don't deal with sin, it's going to end up like Israel, far from God, and there's going to be something a lot more dr drastic that God has to do. And a lot of casualties along the way, that spiritual casualties that don't need to be. 
That is our responsibility. He's made us kings and priests unto our God. And, and, and uh, Paul says to the Corinthians, what do I have to do to judge them without? Just, you know, God will take care of them without the camp, outside the church. We need to judge those within, but not in an arrogance. We do it in, with the compassion of the Lord. We do it with the wisdom of God. We do it with the same treat in the same way we would want to be treated if we were the ones in sin, okay? The whole point is that we want people to turn back to God, right? The whole point is that we want them to come out of their sin and come back to Christ. The whole point is that we want them to repent and be forgiven and things to be restored. Not that we just want them to uh, wish the worst upon them. But anyway, so he, Elijah tells these people, we can go back to, to 1 Kings 18. Elijah tells the people that these, we're going to bring, don't let any of them escape. So there was a lot of Israelites. The whole country was gathered at Carmel that day. And he says, uh, don't let any of the priests of Baal escape. So they brought them down to the valley, to the brook, and they slew them there. You could say, well, well, that's kind of extreme, Elijah. They were probably sincere. You know, and this is this sentimentality that people have that's not grace, and it's not mercy, and it's not the Holy Spirit. Well, what if they were sincere? What if they meant well? What if they, nevertheless, Elijah would say they're dangerous, Nevertheless, they're the problem. I'm not the one that's troubled Israel. It's Israel's sin led by these 850 priests of Baal. That's why it hasn't rained on the earth for three and a half years. They're the reason. They're the head. You, you followed them, but they're the reasons. We're going to put it away. We're going to put the sin away. We're going to put it out of Israel. We're going to put it out of the camp. They could have cried out to Jesus and be, been saved in their last breath of their life. But the point is, the sin had to be dealt with. They took them, in verse 40 it says, and they, began, they killed them, they slew them all by the brook. One by one, they start falling over dead. And guess who didn't help them? Ahab didn't lift a finger to help him, help the, those 850 priests. He was kind of just probably shrinking back himself. This was a move of God. He was powerless to do anything about it. God was doing a cleansing and a purging, and this wicked, weak king could do nothing about it. He did not, nothing to raise a finger to save his and Jezebel's priest from being killed. He watched it happen. You know who else didn't raise a finger to help him? Baal. Baal didn't raise a finger to help his 850 priests. He watched them one by one be killed right there. And when this happened... Uh, Elijah, the man of God, knew the rain was not going to be far. The rain's not far off. The Lord says, go show yourself to Ahab. I'm going to send rain upon the earth. But all this, y'all, he, he knew he was hearing from the Lord. He said that when his little short prayer, when he called down fire from heaven, let the people know that everything I'm doing, I'm paraphrasing, this is, I'm doing at your command, at your will. So even the killing of these priests, this is what God wanted done to execute judgment. Amen? It's what God wanted done. And he learned something, I guess, and knew something that we all need to know. is you, We cannot harbor or shelter a rival of God in our hearts and lives. We can't harbor. You know what I mean by harbor and protect? We have sin in our life, and we bring it to the Lord, and we confess it, and we repent of it. And the Lord forgives us and cleanses us and cleans us off, and we get back up and we walk with Jesus. We all have those things in our lives. But to harbor or shelter a rival to God, 
he's not going to allow that. That's gonna, I guess the point is he, that's going to have to be dealt with, and it's going to have to be dealt with severely. It'll have to be dealt with to the extent where it's plucked up by the roots and out of there. Whether it's a sin, whether it's a relationship that's not of God, and we're staying in it, and we're wanting to shelter it in heart, you know, keep it from God, so to speak. Um, any nation, how often do we pray in America? I pray it as well. God bless us. God bless America. I want his blessings. But it's not in the sense of just financial blessings and all that kind of stuff. The blessings that we need, and my eyes have been opened as yours, we need to, to turning to Christ. We need a revival. God can't bless a nation when we just continue and persist in, in our sin. And our, our lion in deceit, he, he can bring revival, but he can't take it as is. Let's put it that way, unchanged, unrepentant, and just say, I'm going to heap and shower all my blessings upon America. There needs to be, has to be a turning to the Lord. He doesn't bless sin, and we shelter it, and we harbor it, and we've kicked God out of the schools, and we've kicked God out of society. We've kicked God out of everything kicked him out of the courtrooms and out of the courthouses and out of our government. He's got no place. He's been kicked out of a lot of churches across our country. And we say, God bless America. God bless us. Help us. We want a financial blessing. We want this and that. I want those things too. But I tell you, there's something God wants a lot more. It is revival, a turning to the Lord so he can bless us. He could not have blessed Israel until that was dealt with. And it was this, in this case, what we're reading was real, a very quick work. Well, the three and a half years wasn't quick, but when it was time for the rubber to meet the road with the fire coming down from heaven and the priests being killed, that was all happened in a matter of one day, okay? And there was a turning to the Lord. He wants to bless. Don't you know our God wants to bless? Be of good cheer, little, little, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants to bless us. But there has to be, if I'm sitting there harboring a sin in my heart, in, my, in our church, if we had some known sin going on in our church, and we all loved the people, and so we, we just sheltered it and got around them, we let the sin persist and go on and on and on and on and on, and we're praying for God's blessing and God's anointing and God's everything else, all the blessings. God said, no, I want you to deal with that sin so I can bless you. And it's drastic. It's not talking about taking someone to a brook and killing them. It's talking about taking them before the Lord and getting with them and say, this is sin. It has to be dealt with. We want to help you. We want to cover you in the sense of, of, of being a shelter. We're not here to embarrass you. We're not here to, uh, to make your life miserable. We're not here to disassociate ourselves with you in that sense. We're here to see if you'll repent. If, the, if you allow the Lord to deal with it, because that's what we want. That's what God wants. And they can say, yes, that's what I want. Or they could say, no, that's not what I want. And then, you know, they, they need to be gone if that was really the case. And if they repent, they can come back, like in First and Second Corinthians. Amen? But the point is, we can't harbor known sin and then say, God bless us, God bless us, God bless us. In our own hearts, families, lives, churches, nation. Amen? We need it to deal with it. So let's keep reading. A couple more things we'll look at tonight from 1 Kings 18. So the, the, they were killed. Elisha said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. They took them, to, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. And Elijah said unto Ahab, so right on the heels of that, okay? Again, right, right when, this is everything God wanted to do prior to the rain coming. 
everything that he wanted done. Go show yourself to Ahab. You know, make the challenge to the priest of Baal. I'll answer by fire. Take those priests of Baal. The people are going to help you with that. Bring them down there and put them to death. And as soon as that happened, Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up and eat and drink, for there's a sound of abundance of rain. Amen. Hallelujah. The blessing's coming. The blessing is coming. God's not going to continue to punish them once they've dealt with the sin. As soon as we repent, that's when we're forgiven. As soon as we confess, that's when we're forgiven. As soon as we turn, he doesn't hold it on. God doesn't hold a grudge. God doesn't drag you for the mud. And you say, well, God, I, I, I repented of that six months ago, and you're still dragging me through the mud. No, he's not. When we, that burden is lifted, that burden of sin, when we turn to God. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are there consequences from sin? Absolutely. There might be some consequences that we go through, but the burden is lifted, and the weight of sin is lifted, and there's no, no wall of partition between me and my Savior anymore. I can go to the Lord, and he loves me, and I know he loves me. Amen? And so this... this uh, this drought that was about to end was actually, I want you to turn to Deuteronomy real quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 8. You know, Deuteronomy was like, uh, it's a beautiful book. You know, we think it's just Old Testament legalistic stuff. It's the last book that Moses wrote, the last book of the Pentateuch. It was really a recapping of, of Moses' uh, life and his walk with God and his uh, speaking to Israel on the behalf of the Lord. It was very, very beautiful. But in, in Deuteronomy 8, 7, there's these instructions given to the people. This is prior to them going in the promised land. They had not crossed the Jordan River. They were on the other side. He says, For the Lord God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths, that spring out of the valleys and hills. Let's get down to verse 9. A land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it. A land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou may dig brass. Okay, it was going to be a blessed in all these ways and more. And look at chapter 28. Deuteronomy 28. Verse 23. This is when they... He says, if, if you get into the land and you, you intermingle with these Philistines and the Canaanites and, uh, the Canaanites and all the people of the land, not the Philistines, the Canaanites, he says, that, and thy heaven that is over thee, thy head shall be as brass, and the earth that is under thee shall be as iron. The Lord shall make the rain of thy land powder and dust. From heaven shall it come down upon thee until thou be destroyed. The choice is always up to us. This is one of many places where the Lord's saying, if you do what's right, keep, com keep my commandments and walk with me, I'm going to bless your socks off. You know, I'm going to bless you beyond measure. I'm going to bless you. But if you don't, and he lists all that you don't keep my words and you turn from me and you don't keep my covenants and commandments, then this is what's going to happen. This is just one of the, of the many. But specifically, he said, the, the, the heaven's going to be like brass over you. You're going to be crying out for rain. You need rain. The brooks are drying up. The crops are drying up. They're not growing. The crops aren't growing because there's no rain. We don't have water to drink. Our wells are drying up. 
and they're going to be crying out, and the heavens going to be brass over them. So what happened in Elijah's day was just a mini, is was, was actually a literal fulfillment of that. There were other famines and other droughts and famines that we read about in the Bible, but this, this was, was actually a direct result of what their sin. Ahab said to Elijah, are you the one that troubles Israel? He says, it's not me. It's you and your people and your sin. And it's rejecting God and serving Baal. That's why it's come. It was actually the apostasy of the people. Elijah knew this. And he knew that now that the sin was dealt with, the rain was coming. Okay? Now that the sin was dealt with, the last priest of, of Baal bit the dust, so to speak. Elijah turns to the king and says, get thee up. In verse 41, eat and drink, for there's a sound of abundance of rain. And he knew, it was, he knew it was coming, amen? The rain was coming. And I just want to point out real quickly the, uh, the contrast. There's a lot of contrast between Ahab and Elijah, of course. But one of these is that w when all this dramatic spiritual work of God just took, just took place a few hours before, and the fire coming down from heaven and so forth. He says, the, get up, Ahab, and go to your palace, basically. Uh, the rain's about to come. Eat and drink. And this all this man thought about. He, he had no spiritual depth at all or perception. Not the slightest bit of contrition of heart or humility or fear of God, which is the beginning of wisdom and understanding. None of it. He just jumps on his chariot. I'm going to go have a banquet. I'm going to go eat and drink. The rain's about to come. Nothing sank in to his heart, basically, of what God was doing and why the drought had come. Why had there been no rain for three and a half years? What just took place here today? 850 priests of Baal just died. The people are bowing down before God. What's happening here? He was responsible for this. He was responsible for there being no rain. And his wicked wife, Jezebel. And all he's thinking about, oh, good, the rain's about to come. And there are a lot of people like that. All they, that would just be sensual. It's just uh, sensual, carnal, uh, selfish. And, and, and what does Elijah do in verse 42? So Ahab, Ahab went up to eat and drink. That was it. No, no, no thought as to what had just taken place and what God was doing. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went up. Where did he, do, he go? He went up to the mount, top of Mount Carmel and cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. I want to be like that man. Amen? We can eat and drink anytime. God was doing something. This was going to be a revival for the nation. This is for the glory of Jehovah. This is the, the, for the glory of the God in whom uh, Elijah stood in his presence continually. Ahab said, oh, I get to go eat and drink now. All right, the rain's about to come. What do you got? You know, what do you have cooked for me tonight? And go home and eat and drink. That's all he could think about. Just a sensual pleasure. Elijah goes, climbs up to the top. They were at the base of the mountain in the valley. Climbs to the highest point of the mountain, 
sits down, puts his head between his knees, and begins to cry out to Almighty God for rain. The big difference, big difference. God has his man, though, amen? And it doesn't just have to be one. It could be all of us, his men and women. Cast himself down to pray. He cared nothing about that. He probably cared nothing about those priests being killed, even though they were his priests. And I would just say, woe to a nation or to a people when their leaders are like that, weak and sensual and carnal. And the people are perishing, and maybe God's dealing with a nation or a people, and all they think about is getting a little bit more money, another vacation time and a new car, and living in comfort somewhere. Woe to a people when that is their leadership. That's not of the Lord. Amen. It's not of the Lord. And crisis oftentimes, many times, reveals what somebody's made of, doesn't it? A crisis reveals what somebody's made of. We see this man go off to, to eat and drink. We see the other man, Elijah, going to pray, going to seek the Lord. Amen. I want to read this from Isaiah. I'll just read it from, from chapter 5. Isaiah said, Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink. And, and I believe he was speaking about leadership here specifically. Elijah, uh, Isaiah was dealing with it. They rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink, that, that tarry late into the night till wine inflame them. And the harp and the lute and the tabret and the pipe and the wine are in their feast, but they regard not the work of the Lord. This would be leadership. I say it's true for all people, but this would have been Ahab. They regard not the work of the Lord, neither have they considered the operation of his hands. Therefore, my people are gone into captivity. We need to pray for godly leadership. We need to pray for godly leadership, starting at a local level, you know, city councilmen and school board members. Don't think that does nothing to do with you. It has a lot to do with you. It doesn't have to do with our eternity in the sense we belong to Christ, and when he raptures his church, we're going. But we need to pray for godly leadership for God's glory. We, may, we need to pray for godly leadership that things would go well with us and that the freedom that we have to share the gospel and to meet at Cornerstone Church would still be protected. We need godly leadership. It's a blessing from the Lord. Amen. We need to pray for that. And uh, I just want to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with that tonight. Y'all have a whole uh, section that we're getting ready to get into. And I really want to break down, you know, you know the story. Y'all know where we're going before we get there because you know the story of Elijah. But we're getting ready to read where he goes up to the top of the mountain and he prays for the rain. Okay. And the thought to, could, could be, well, God already promised the rain why does he need to go pray for it? Well, that's a good, good thought. It's a good question. It's a legitimate question, but it's answered in the Bible, okay? And we're going to talk about that next week. We're going to look at his prayer, and his prayer, first of all, was based on a promise. He didn't make up what he wanted and say, God, do it. God says, go show yourself to Ahab, and I'll send rain upon the earth. When you can pray a promise of God, I'm getting ahead of him. I'm teaching you next week's lesson. I'm kind of excited about it. When you can pray a promise that God has given, you can bank it, bank on it. You can believe it. I don't care how long it takes. Elijah prayed seven times, amen? But the point is, 
when we can lay hold on a promise of God and pray it back to God. There's a power in that in the Lord, and God honors that. That's all. Uh, the, I just want to close with that thought tonight. But let, let's just think about it. The altars are open. Dee's going to come. I know it's a little unusual because of what we're talking about, but the, the judging of the sin is one of the things that really sticks out to me about this. It had to be dealt with. You couldn't just say, well, I kind of feel sorry for them now. They were the reason that the nation was not, was not having rain, their sin, and they were heading it up. They were leading it, okay? And that sin has to be dealt with. And I said, if it has to be dealt with in our own hearts, has to be, that's number one. That's where we have to start. Before we look to one person outside of us, it has to be dealt with in our churches. The church in America needs to deal with the sin in the churches in America. And, and then, then God can bless the churches like he wants to. Amen? And the sins of our nation. I'm, I just happen to be reading Daniel right now. And Daniel repents of all these sins. He's in captivity. He's repenting of all the sins of his fathers and nation back in Israel. And he hadn't even committed all those sins. He wasn't guilty of those things. He wasn't sinless, but he wasn't guilty of all those things. He was repenting on behalf of the people. It has to be put, put out and done away with so God can bless. Amen. He'll even help us to do that. He'll even help us to put the sin out of our lives if we'll ask him. He'll help us to do that. Y'all stand. The altars are open.